Isn't God good? Say amen. Amen. Well, it's good to see you out this morning. I want you to take your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. And we've looked at several truths as we went through the first three chapters. But look at chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. Now, I'm going to be up front. Verse 1 through verse 6 is a one thought. But there's no way, unless y'all want to stay till 2 o'clock this afternoon, there's no way I'm going to get through verse 6. So I'm just going to do verse 1 and 2 this morning. And then since everybody's going to come back tonight, I'll do verse 3 through 6. Amen? And so let's look at this together. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves. Likewise, with the same mind, for he that hath suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now you say, preacher, what in the world does that say? Well, can I tell you real quick, this is where Catholics get purgatory from. Now you say, well, preacher, I've never heard of purgatory. Well, what Catholics believe is Catholics believe that when a person dies, they go to a place called purgatory whereby they suffer, and when they've suffered enough, then they're taken to heaven. Well, I got news for you today. Christ suffered for me, and I don't have to suffer anymore. Amen. Verse 2, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. Father, would you speak to us this morning for your honor and glory in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, listen, Peter's given this appeal based upon what he's already said. Now, you see that first word, for as much. Some have translated it this way, since then. So it means the same thing. So what has Peter already discussed? Well, he's discussed that we will have to understand that in this world you will have tribulation. And when you live a holy life, you will be persecuted. Now, understand again, I want to say it again, that in America persecution is unlike persecution in the rest of the world. In the rest of the world, listen, if you proclaim the name of Christ, many places you do it against your own life. But in America, listen, we don't know anything about persecution in the realm of what other countries know. And what we know about persecution is someone making fun of us, someone closing the door in our face, or someone calling us a religious zealot, and we think that's persecution. But listen... When you live a life that's contrary to the world, the world will not understand and the world will let you know about it. And so this is the day and age in which we live in, but in the day in which Peter was writing here, it was far, far worse. Many were dying for the faith when Peter was writing this letter. And now, so what do we see here? For as much then as Christ has suffered for us, in the flesh. So I want you to look first at the principle of suffering. Or you could do the principle of persecution. Either one fits. And so what he does is he now draws the analogy of Christ and what Christ endured to help us understand that, listen, God is never going to have us endure anything that Christ has not already endured for us. And so he lays out the principle here. Now, I'm going to go through this real quickly because we've already looked at it in chapter 2, 
and in chapter 3. But what is this principle of suffering seen in the Lord Jesus? Well, he reminds us here of Christ's willingness. You remember in chapter 3, he said, Christ just died for the unjust, the just for the unjust. Christ Jesus was willing to suffer and willing to die. Listen, no man took the life of Christ. Christ laid it down of his own volition. Now, what was this willingness? Well, listen, the willingness was not as much the suffering as the willingness was obedience to God because obedience to God, Christ knew, would lead to the cross, would lead to the suffering, would lead to the nails, and would lead to the death. And so the willingness of Christ here was more in the realm of obedience than it was anything else. Philippians chapter 2, he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And so the willingness of Christ was all about obeying his Father. And so we see here the reminder of Christ's willingness. And so here's what Peter's going to be doing through verse 6. Are we willing to obey God no matter what the cost may be? Because that's what Christ did. And so that's the premise that's going to find its way through all of these verses. But notice the reason for Christ's willingness. The reason here is that Christ, in obeying God, would accomplish our redemption. And so how many of you agree today that whatever God allowed in Christ Jesus' life, God had a purpose for it? Well, would you agree today that if Christ leads us and as we're walking in obedience and as we're walking in the will of God, and Christ leads us to walk into times of tribulation, would you agree today that God does not allow anything that's not according to his perfect plan and his perfect purpose? And therefore, Christ, the reason he suffered was he knew that being obedient would bring redemption. Well, what was the result of Christ's willingness? Well, how many agree today that we have victory because of what Christ did? And so now our victory is found in Christ's willingness. Christ willing to suffer, Christ willing to die, Christ willing to give his own body, Christ willing to become our sin that you and I would never have to pay for our sin. And now you and I have victory because of Christ's willingness. What Christ did now allows you and I to get in on everything Christ did. Now, I'm going to say this once. I've said it to you a thousand times over the years. I'm going to say it a thousand more times. If you're saved today, you're not working towards victory. You're working from victory. In other words, you're already victorious. You say, how do, I, how do you know I'm victorious? Because if you're saved today, you have the victorious one. Therefore, guess what? You don't get any more victory than you already have. The question is, are you walking in what you have? Christ is our victory. And Christ paid that way through his willingness to suffer. So Peter lays it out. He says, for and much then, as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh. In other words, Peter's saying, remind yourself. Remind yourself of what Christ did and why Christ did what he did. Now, why is that important? Because then he gives a command. So notice, secondly, 
Not only do you see the principle of suffering, but the preparation in suffering. He said, so therefore, if Christ suffered in the flesh for you and me, watch what he said, arm yourself likewise with the same what? So how many agree today? If you don't understand the mind of Christ in his willingness to go to the cross, how many agree today? You have no shot of walking in obedience to this command that he's given. Because this word arm yourself is not a suggestion. It's imperative. It means God is commanding us, arm yourselves. Why would God command us to do that? Well, I'm going to make it simple. Because God knows what's ahead of you. God knows what you're going to have in front of you. God knows what you're going to endure one day. God knows how you're going to be treated one day. God knows if you live out your faith, this world ain't going to like it. And God knows this is your hope and this is your help. Arm yourself. Likewise, in the exact same way, with the same mind. You say, well, preacher, I can't arm myself with the same mind as Christ. I'm not Christ. Well, I got news for you. The Bible says the day God saved you, you received the mind of Christ. And so Philippians chapter 2 says, let, not yet, let this mind be in you which was already in Christ Jesus. In other words, you just got to let the mind you received when God saved you to be reality in your life. You've got to arm yourselves. Now, so what's involved in this command of arming myself? Well, I'm going to give you a couple things here. The arming of the mind involves two things. The elimination that is needed. Can I tell you something? You'll never, ever prepare your mind for whatever circumstance, trials, or tribulations are ahead of you if you don't let God remove a bunch of junk first. Because the only way I'm going to walk in the same mind as Christ walked in and his willingness to be obedient unto the Father even unto death. The only way that's going to happen is I've got to allow God to purge thinking that's not consistent with Christ's thinking. In other words, how many of you agree today the Bible says Christ did nothing to please self? All right, so can I ask you a question? Can I walk in the same mind as Christ? which I've already received at salvation, if self is still the center of my thinking. You know, a lot of times we choose what we choose to do or not to do based upon self. Do I feel like it? Do I want to? Am I registering with anybody here? I mean, we choose to do what we want or want not to do based upon how self slants our thinking. And so guess what? The only way you can arm yourself is you've got to allow God to eliminate thinking that is contrary to the will and ways of God. Now listen to me. This not only means in the realm of suffering or persecution, but it means in the realm of sin as well. Because here's what you're going to find out. The reason that persecution took place in these that Peter was writing to is because they were living 
a life that was showing forth holiness and not sinfulness. Now, listen to me. I cannot allow myself to compromise or be capitulant to sin and ever think that I can walk in the same mind as Christ Jesus. You know, a lot of times what we do is we have these sins in our life, and here's the way we begin to think. Well, you know, I know that shouldn't be in my life, but God understands. No, we don't. Does he forgive if you repent? Yes. But how could God understand if Christ Jesus paid a way that you and I could be delivered from the very sin that we're willing to capitulate with? And so you have to have a mindset towards suffering and a mindset towards sin in which God has to eliminate things in your mind or ways of thinking that are contrary to the thinking of the Lord Jesus when he went to the cross. How did God view sin when Jesus went to the cross? How did Christ view sin when Jesus went to the cross? Well, Christ viewed sin in such a way that he knew the only way sin could be taken care of is he had to die. He who knew no sin was willing to become your sin and my sin. But how do we view suffering? Now, most of us, here's the way we think. Well, I know that trials can come and I have no control over those. How many agree that's a true statement? Y'all say amen. But how many of you agree that in the back of our minds, here's the way we think, but if I can control it to where I don't have to go through it, I'm going to do everything I can to not go through it. So if persecution is a trial, and I have that in the back of my thinking, then what's going to happen to my action of my life? Well, I'm going to hang down my stand of the gospel. I'm going to tame down my view of sin and holiness. In other words, let me put it this way. If that's the back of my mind, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to try to blend in. I'm going to try to be tolerant everybody's views no matter how disagreeable I am well can I tell you something if you have that mind you do not have the mind of Christ see God's got to eliminate some things from your thinking see see here's what happened we tolerate sin and then we make it spiritual and we say well I'm doing it in the name of love I got news for you let me tell you what love is love is God putting his son to death, that those sins don't have to be reality. You see, you and I need to understand that Jesus Christ, when he came, he came not to bring peace, but a sword. Father against mother, brother against sister. And when you stand for truth, sometimes, It'll cause hardship even in your family. And you say, well, God would never want that. 
then why did God say it? Y'all still love me, say amen. You see, there has to be an elimination within your mind. But then with that comes the enabling or the equipping of that is needed. So what does this mean, arm yourself? Here's what it means. It means to arm yourself with weapons. The, the noun form of this word arm is translated six times in the New Testament as weapon. The verb form which is found here is the aspect of, of allowing yourself to be equipped with the proper weapons. Now you say, what is the proper weapons? Well, can I tell you? The proper weapons is truth and the proper weapons is the mind of the Lord Jesus which God gave you. He says, arm yourself. Weaponize yourself in your mind that you can be prepared for whatever comes your way. Now listen, this can include just trials that has nothing to do with persecution. How many agree today? If you don't have the right way of thinking, trials that come in your life that has nothing to do with your holy living, but just trials that come, how many agree life happens sometimes? How many agree you're going to be dismantled? Because you don't have a proper way of thinking. Do you understand today the Christian life, the battleground for the Christian life is your mind? It's not your heart. You say, well, I thought it was my heart. No, when God saved you, he gave you a new heart. The battleground is your mind because the way you think is what's true of your heart. So the battleground is your mind. It's the reason the Bible gives so many verses about your mind. Renew your mind. Bring all your thoughts under the captivity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those things which are pure, those things which are, are, are of, of God, those things which are above, think on those things. You see, your battleground is the way you think. And so Paul, or Peter here, he says to these persecuted believers, he said, arm yourself, arm yourself, weaponize yourself with the mind that Christ had. May it be the mind that you have. Can I tell you what the enemy wants to do? He wants to disarm you every day of your life. He wants to get you thinking crooked. You say, preacher, how do you know that? That's what he did in the garden. What did he do in the garden? He went to Eve as a serpent. What did he say? Did God really say? Think about that just a minute, Eve. Could it be that you heard wrong? And Eve began to think, well, you know, maybe I did hear wrong. Could it be God's trying to cheat you? You see, that's how Satan works. And so you have this arming of the mind, then you have the attitude of the mind. As God equips you and arms you and weaponizes your mind with his way of thinking, now you have a proper attitude. Now you begin to view obedience as a greater thing than any cost that it may bring my way. Because so many times we weigh our obedience with the cost that we think that it'll bring. How's so-and-so going to view this? 
what's so-and-so going to think of me? But tell me, let me tell you something. The attitude of Christ was this. To obey the Father above everything else. Even sometimes, now listen to me in love. Even sometimes, obeying God sometimes will even be against the wishes of the people that I love the most. And now you develop the right attitude of thinking. And now you're equipped. Now you're armed. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. When you have the right attitude of thinking, here will be your life verse. If any man come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Because self will not factor in to your decision to obey or not to obey. What was God's will? That'll be the sole factor. What does God want? That'll be the sole factor. Y'all still with me? Say amen. This is what he means by arming yourself. Well, so you see the principle of suffering. You see the preparation of suffering. But notice the purity in suffering. Now, here's that controversial verse or, or phrase in this verse. For he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now, if you read this the way it reads in the English, the flesh here can be translated two ways. Your flesh can talk about your, the, the fruit of your Adam nature or your physical body. Well, here it's talking about your physical body. So in other words, if you and I, walking up on this earth as a man or as a woman, and we suffer for doing good and not evil. Remember he dealt with that in chapter 3? If our suffering is because we're just walking in the will of God. And in our physical bodies, we endure persecution or we endure hardship. It says here we cease from sin. Does that mean we become sinless perfect? Absolutely not. Are y'all saying Amen. The Bible says he that thinks, First John, he that thinks he's without sin is a liar and the truth is not in him. And so we do not become sinless perfect. And this does not mean that we go to a place where we suffer enough to where sin is purged out of us. So what does it mean? Well, I'm going to give you three things in which I believe is involved in this. The first thing is the cause of suffering. Remember, go back to chapter 3 and verse 17. For it is better if the will of God be so that you suffer in well-doing than evil-doing. So what is the purpose or what is the cause in which these people suffered in their flesh? They were just walking in the will of God. Now, listen. Here's our mindset. Well, if I walk in the will of God, TBN tells me everything will be hunky-dory, I'll never be sick. Well, TBN needs to read the Bible. Y'all say amen. Because I got news for you. When you're walking in the will of God, you're swimming upstream to the world. 
And I got news for you, the current will sometimes get heavy against you. I don't know where we got this mindset that if I walk in the will of God, everything will be peaches and cream and strawberries and hunky-dory. I got news for you. Your problem's just beginning. But aren't you glad today God's sufficient for us? And so here's, the, here's what he said. So what is he saying? There's a call. But then there's the ceasing and suffering. Now let me unpack what this word ceasing here is talking about. For he that suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. I want you, if you underline in your Bible, I want you to underline the word hath. Because what's that talking about? An accomplished fact, something that's already taken place. So what is he saying? There's a certain restraint. In other words, this is in a tense means that in somewhere in the past, there was the restraining of yourself from sin. But you didn't restrain yourself because that's passive, which means what? God operated on your behalf to set you free from a lifestyle of sin. How many of you agree today? You're not going to walk in holiness if there wasn't a point in time in the past where God set you free from sin. So this goes back and deals with that moment in time when God liberated you and God set you free. And because God set you free, you began to walk in it. And when you began to walk in it, you began to walk against the course of the world. And the world didn't like it. The world didn't understand it. And the world wanted you to know about it. You see, there was a certain restraint that took place. But what else is he saying? Well, secondly, he's not only dealing with a certain restraining, but a continuing refraining. And you say, what do you mean by that? Because the tense is this, something that took place in the past, but the effects of it are ongoing today in your life. Let me ask you a question today. When God saved you, how many of y'all remember the day God saved you? How many of you remember the day God saved you? You felt like you were liberated. Some people use the term peace. Some people use the term a weight's been lifted off. Whatever term you may use. How many of you agree there was the day that God saved you? You felt liberated. You felt like somebody had bound you up and set you free. Let me ask you a question. Did it only last a day? Did it only last two days? No, can I tell you what happened? If you truly got saved, here's what happened. It became a continual passion and lifestyle of your life that you desired holiness. You wasn't going to be sinless perfect, but yet when you sinned, the Spirit of God would convict you and chasten you and correct you, and you couldn't get away with your sin. And all of a sudden now, the passion, the Spirit of God began to work in your heart, and you had a passion to live in holiness of God. So here's what it says. When you suffer in the flesh, there's a certainty that you were set free. But because you continue to walk in a refraining way from the lifestyle of sin, when you were persecuted, you didn't stop. How many of you agree sometimes when the heat gets hot, people get out of the oven? Here's what this verse is saying. 
that when persecution came because you were just walking and obeying God, instead of throwing up your hands and saying, this ain't worth it, I'm just going to have to tone it down a little bit. I'm, I'm going to have to just blend in a little bit more. Instead, you came, became more resolved and more passionate about continuing to walk in holiness and obedience instead of sin. A letter was sent to two missionaries in China. It's a true story. By three churches that came together. And they had a prayer meeting, and everybody with that prayer meeting from those three churches signed the letter, and here's what the letter said in essence, and I'm going to paraphrase. We have prayed for you missionaries. And we prayed that persecution would stop for you in China. The missionaries sent the letter back. He said, please quit praying that. Because the day persecution stops, the day we become like America. Because here's what they were finding. In the midst of persecution, hosts of people were coming to the saving knowledge of Christ. And they were coming to the saving knowledge of Christ in an atmosphere, in an environment that if they got caught, they could be in prison, shot, or worse. And here's what they were saying. The converts we're having are real. You know why? Because when persecution comes, they get more obedient, not less. So what is he telling these believers? This is the reason you're being persecuted. But the evidence that we're seeing is you're staying the course. You're staying obedient. What would it take for you to become disobedient when you're trying to be obedient? Can I answer that for you? I have no idea. You know why I don't have any idea? Because only God knows your heart. But have you ever thought that sometimes God will allow tribulation in your life to let you see what he sees about you? It may not have to be persecution. It may just be hardship. How many agree? Life's spelled L-I-F-E. It's full of ifs. Are y'all with me? Say amen. How many of y'all know those times that ifs pop up in your life? Can I tell you, in those times, you find out more of where you're at with the Lord than any other time in your life. I had a lady at the first church I pastored. She was riding on a four-wheeler with her three-year-old daughter. Somehow, the right wheel 
hit a rock that she didn't see, and when it did, they were on a hill, and when it did, it flipped her forward. Killed her three-year-old daughter. And I'm going to be honest with you guys. I can't fathom, nor can I identify with anything that lady went through. Are y'all hearing me say amen? Let me tell you what happened. She got so mad at God that she wouldn't have anything. A woman that sung in the choir, a woman that never missed a service, she wouldn't have anything to do with the things of God ever. She got so bitter and so mad with God. But can I tell you, when you arm yourself with the mind of Christ, it's not that tragedies will not greatly affect you. They will. Are y'all hearing me say amen? We have our humanity. Do you hear me say amen? But you won't throw in the towel. Well, there's a conclusive removal. One commentator says that the thought of this passage goes even past the last day we breathe. He says that in the tense in which it's in, something that happened that the effects are ongoing that the effects go on even till after we breathe our last breath. And you say, what do you mean by that? How many agree today, if you're saved when you breathe your last breath, you don't ever have to deal with sin again? Amen. So literally in that day only will you cease completely from sin. How many of y'all looking forward to that? I have people all the time say, I don't want to die. Hey, I got news for you. I'm sick of my stinking flesh. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not going, I've not got a death wish, and I'm not going out looking for it. Are y'all hearing me say amen? But I want you to hear me right now. If I, if I lay down right here, right now, Hoyt, two things. Hoyt, do not give me mouth to mouth. Are y'all with me? And you keep Hoyt away from them paddles in the hallway out there, too. Now, Brandon, you want to use them? Have at them. Boy, you're off limits. Y'all hearing me say amen. But I don't want you crying for me. I got news for you. I'm sick of my stinking flesh. I'm sick of sin. I can't stand it anymore. That's the reason Paul said, for me to die is gain. I promise you, I'll be a lot happier than you will be. While you're here. Well, Lastly, and I'll close, the pursuit and suffering. Look at verse 2. That when we endure persecution, identifying ourselves with Christ, and have that mind now armed ourselves with the same mind that Christ gave us, and God's eliminated those things from our mind that are contrary to the way he thinks, and God has armed us with the things in which he thinks. Here becomes your motivation. You begin to pursue holiness. Watch what it says. That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men. What's flesh mean? Your physical bodies. Here. 
What does it mean in the lust of men? Here's what it means. He's saying this. There's an explanation that's given here. What's the explanation? That now when you have suffered and you remember what Christ suffered and how Christ suffered and you remember the results of what Christ brought out of his suffering that you and I have victory and redemption and reconciled to God and you and I were lost and enemies against God and God reconciled us unto himself gave us victory over sin gave us the desire for holiness hey I'm not who I used to be then all of a sudden it becomes motivation that I don't want to live the rest of my days in this flesh with the desires, the flaming desires of the world and of my flesh and of self. But notice the expectation. But my heart becomes about the will of God. Now what matters to me? What overwhelms me? What consumes me? It's not what I want. Not what I desire. But God, what do you want? What's your desire? When I get there, let me tell you what happens. God begins to conform your desires into his desires and you begin to desire what he desires and then we can go back to the old testament then we can quote the promise that then he'll give you the desires of your what why because they're his desires to start with god's eliminated from your mind self god's eliminated from your mind stinking thinking are y'all hearing me say amen? amen? And you say, well, preacher, I'm not going to be perfect in this. You're not. But aren't you glad the Spirit of God, when you're not walking in this, will let you know it? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5 and 6, and I'm closing. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling, in singleness of your heart and unto Christ. In other words, be obedient unto your masters, but unto Christ, be obedient unto Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers. Can I tell you what that means? Not that everybody else will think that you're faithful. Not that everybody else will see you and say, wow, hell yeah, I want to tell you something. Old John Doe over there, and he loves God. That's never our motivation. Are y'all hearing me say amen? You say, well, preacher, I thought our testimony was always a motivation. No, your, your, your motivation is always for the glory of God and the obedience of God. Guess what God will do? God will give you the testimony. You won't have to create it. Not as eye service or men pleasers. But as servants, bond slaves to Christ, doing the will of God from your duty.
Is that what it says? From the what? From the what? Oh, wait a minute, preacher. I thought I was supposed to obey God because I was supposed to. No. That's Christian Judaism. That's Judaism lived out as a Christian. Judaism in the Old Testament is I've got to obey God. But can I tell you what Christianity is? Christianity is not I got to. Christianity is I get to. Parents, why do you expect your children to obey you? Because they have to? Or because they love you so much they want to? Why do we obey God? Because I have to? No. What else does God need to do to prove his love to you? Y'all ain't answering, so I'll answer for you. Nothing! Has he not done enough to show you how much he loves you? So why sometimes is obedience like trying to wring out a wet towel? An evangelist friend of mine was in a church that was just, he couldn't get them to follow truth. He was just discouraged. He was in despair. And he went to this Bible conference for preachers and this preacher stood up to preach. And this pastor friend of mine was sitting in the congregation with all those pastors sitting there. And here's what this preacher said from the pulpit. I think if I remember correctly, a friend of mine said he was preaching on that verse that the love of God constrains you. Y'all remember that? And here's what that preacher said. He said, you in a church that doesn't desire and doesn't walk in obedience, giving you trouble? Well, this preacher friend of mine said he was sitting there and it's like he wanted to lift both hands up. Say, yes, that's me. He said, then here's what you do. Go teach them through the word what the love of God looks like. And they'll either get saved or they'll get right. Years ago, the pulpit committee asked me this question. Wasn't here. Y'all say amen. Said, preacher, if you become our pastor, what are you going to do to motivate people that don't attend on Sunday night and Wednesday night to be faithful? I'll say, I'll tell you what I won't do. I won't go to their door. I won't knock on the door and twist their arm and beg them. That's what they expected me to say. They said, well, what are you going to do? I'm going to teach them. Why don't you have a desire to? 
Are y'all hearing me say amen? I know some people are providentially hindered. I know that. But I'm telling you, a lot of people just don't want to. Guys, listen to me. Are you willing right now to let God arm your mind for whatever's ahead of you? For that to happen, you've got to be willing to let God do in you whatever He needs to do. You've got to be willing to surrender to whatever He says, however He says it. And here's the third thing. You've got to be willing to trust Him to what He says He'll do. Are y'all hearing me say amen? 